church hurt is real. In the recent years, increasing scrutiny has been placed on church leaders due to moral failures, abuse scandals, toxic leadership styles, financial indiscretions, and relational strife. The failures of pastors and leaders in many churches have left countless church members wounded, confused, and frustrated. But what if the leaders themselves are also experiencing significant levels of pain, brokenness, and church hurt? Even though some pastors are responsible for causing hurt within church, many of them are being wounded by it too. One recent study found that one in six pastors are in distressing levels of isolation, loneliness, fear, anger, and hurt. 45% of pastors report having felt burnout to the degree of having to take a break from ministry. An increasing number of clergy are on antidepressants, and there's been an alarming number of suicides among high-profile pastors in recent years. What is it about pastoral ministry that makes it so painful and difficult sometimes? Why do so many stay in ministry, even when it's hurtful and challenging? And how can we pray for our church leaders, support them, and show them love? Welcome to the Beards and Bible Podcast, podcast about Bible beards and viewing the world from a biblical worldview. Like that doesn't even make sense. Viewing the world from like if it is a worldview, then that's how you're viewing the world. That's not. Hmm. What was the tagline I said last time that I said was super catchy? And do you I remember? No, no. Yeah, I remember you saying something catchy, but I don't. It must not have been that catchy. <laughs> I guess not. If it doesn't stick I with could... me, it's not all that catchy. Maybe we should play it on my phone and I can hold it up to the microphone and you can <laughs> practice like it again. Beards and Bible meta. It's an episode within an episode. That's mm. crazy. Yeah. How you doing, man? I don't I don't I don't, I don't think I'm even subscribed to our own podcast. <laughs> I, I looked through my things real fast. I don't think uh doing well. I'm not doing gonna well. listen to that. Yeah. Awesome. Um sitting down here in the uh what will be the the YouTube slash podcast uh, studio down here in the basement. So, um, yeah, I noticed the, you have the, a, a very thick parka on right now. Is it a uh, is it insulated yeah. or heated and cooled or? There's no, there's no, there's no heat or AC <laughs> down here. So, um, yeah, I, I had a space heater running for a little bit because it was you know it was frigid down here in the basement. It's picture like a, a a dank, cold dungeon. That's pretty much mm-hmm. the essence that that it was. So I got it warmed up a little bit, but um, now I'm in like maintenance mode. But yeah, these headphones on my head are kind of like part... <laughs> earmuffs slash headphones. <laughs> yeah, earmuffs slash headphones. Yeah, they're keeping the blood circulating into my ears. So yes. yeah, I got to figure something out about that. I don't know what to do. Yeah. So um, my new truck that I'm like really pleased with, it has some sort of a uh, leak in the coolant reservoir. The antifreeze reservoir, and like I've learned all about, if you don't have antifreeze, your heat doesn't quite work. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't figure out what was going on with my heat. And my buddy Mason was like, "Hey, check your antifreeze." And so my antifreeze was low, so I added antifreeze, and then it kind of leaks slowly over like a couple weeks time. And then but there's nothing. <laughs> and then it exploded. <laughs> no, I was no, I was running just fine. But it's funny. It's because like I get in the truck and I'll turn on the heat and it'll blow cold air for a little bit and then it will once the truck gets going then the hot air comes out but anyway i gotta fix that Mm. but i've driven around 
in 18 degree weather with no heat for a while and that's kind of weird so yeah it's brutal especially when there's a wind blowing i mean one time uh i was uh driving back from college with a girl who lived in a neighboring town so we figured we would carpool and it was you know like for winter break or something like that between classes and uh the night before we leave on this trip her car gets broken into and the passenger the passenger side window uh is just shattered so we clean up whatever we can and and we hit the road and uh but it's like it's like by the time we hit the road it's like eight or nine o'clock at night and we've got like this long like six hour drive ahead of us and it is just like the temperature's dropping the further north we go and you know obviously the later (laughs) it gets in the in the night the temperature's dropping and we're just going like i think she had like a like a grand am or something like that but we're just like booking it down the interstate and this wind is just gushing in through the passenger side and i mean i'm like my lips are blue by the time we make it home i'm like this was (laughs) like dumb and dumber (laughs) yeah on the moped yeah this is fun that's crazy dude yeah well our topic today we'll dive right on in we are talking about church hurt but a little bit different perspective on church hurt. Um, our last episode, we talked a little bit about the podcast, the, the rise and fall of Mars Hill, and kind of some of the things that people experience from leadership and pastors that may be the cause of hurt, may be the cause of um, a lot of brokenness that's in the church. And I think there, there's kind of like this trend going on right now of holding those leaders accountable. And I think that's like, healthy and that needs to happen and i'm all about that but i think within that um fervor and i think that's a good word for it because i do think it's a fervor right now of kind of holding leaders accountable and kind of calling out leaders when they're being toxic i think there's something that does not get talked about and that is the pastors and the leaders within churches that are being faithful and following the lord and yet they are experiencing a significant level of brokenness, burnout, anxiety. Um, there's been, in the recent years, an alarming number of suicides from mm-hmm. pastors. And so I, I don't think in the fervor of us trying to hold toxic leaders accountable and talk about church hurt that we're really doing justice to those leaders who are being faithful who are serving God, who are loving people that are absorbing just a lot of hurt. And uh, that's kind of what we want to talk about today. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think you know, these very well-intentioned and um, just nose to the millstone. Is that, that's, is that the saying, nose to the millstone? I think the so, yeah. Either grindstone, uh, millstone, who knows? Yeah, the, guy, the <laughs> Standing guys. Standing stone, stepping stone. <laughs> yeah. The ones who are in the trenches doing the right thing, at least trying to do the right thing and yeah. being consistent in that. Yeah, this is the past two, three years have been absolute hell on people like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I think it's important that we we pray for pastors and we encourage them. Um, I mean, yeah, like you said, you have to strike that balance of like, yeah, there needs to be accountability. Um, but at the same time, you have to understand if, if, a, if a pastor is a shepherd of, of more than three to five people in his congregation, um, he's going to experience pain and brokenness and he's going to absorb a lot of dysfunction. Um, and so that individual is suffering on the behalf of others and he needs prayer. He needs encouragement. 
Absolutely. And I think that that's the, um, like you said, that's the balance that we have to strike of, yes, holding leaders accountable, but at the same time supporting leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, this job of a pastor is very unique and, and, and very challenging. And Gabe, man, you grew up as a pastor's kid. You're, mm-hmm. you're a pastor now. Like, what is it to you that makes this job of a pastor so unique and so challenging? Yeah, um, and I got to admit, Josh, when I was reading through the show notes, uh, you know, I initially texted you earlier in the week, and I was like, hey, what, what would it be like to do a podcast episode on? And I was thinking, like, further down the road. I didn't think, like, this week per se, but I was thinking, what, what would it be like to do an episode on on church hurt, you know, for lack of a better term, people who shepherd a congregation and then get hurt by individuals or numerous, um, you know, situations, scenarios within that congregation that they're trying their best to shepherd and, mm-hmm. and, and lead, continually lead back to Christ. Um, and then you were like, dude, that's, that's awesome. Let's do this. So when you sent me the show notes and I was looking over them last night and again this morning, I was like, man, did Josh, like, did I write something? Like, did I, I mean, it was like you were just reading my mail in terms of, <laughs> in terms of things that, which was really encouraging for me because I've never seen someone um, in these show notes in which you guys are about to hear us talk about, I've never heard another pastor. And I mean, we're like, we're like very close friends and I've yeah. never heard you open up and I've never heard any other pastors open up to the level which these notes um, do and encourage me because I was like, wow, I'm not the only one experiencing situations like this. Yeah. And I think that was really encouraging. And now I did, yeah, I grew up as a pastor's son and my, my dad was a pastor for, for, um, all his life. So he actually pastored a church, um, for most of my childhood, uh, and then, and then kind of transitioned to becoming, um, a director of a rehab center. But yeah, I, I saw definitely how the, how the sausage is made and, hmm. and I saw how desperate humans can be to make themselves not look broken and fallen mm, and so interesting way to put it yeah yeah and and i think that's that's that the crux of it is that we as humans like to avoid this notion that we are fallen and sinful and broken and continually in need of regeneration and need of redemption and need of a savior so as a pastor's son, I would inevitably overhear my parents talking about people or situations or conflicts within the church and think, wow, I thought, you know, on the surface, everything seems fine with those people. And mm-hmm. I'm best friends with this, you know, their kid. And, and you're like, wow, I didn't know that was going on per se. And like you begin to see and this veil begins to get lifted of people's lives and hearts and intentions that, wow, people really are sinful. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I wanted nothing to do with that realm for my wife and for my family. Um, I, I had zero desire to get into that sort of position and that sort of calling. And here I find myself doing something exactly like my dad did. <laughs> A little bit different, but yeah. um, in terms of like my level of uh, authority or level of, of um, you know, involvement or whatever, but yeah, I, I absolutely have had to absorb some of that. And um, it's it's a very, like you said, very unique position and very challenging position to be in. Yeah, I think in one sense, um, you know, my wife is a hospice nurse, so she has a very emotionally heavy job. Um, 
I've networked with and talked with people who are, you know, combat veterans uh, who've worked in special forces, and they have a very emotionally heavy and dangerous job. Um, you know, so I, I'm not, I'm not um, holding to the position that somehow being a pastor is the most emotionally taxing, the heaviest, the, the craziest, the hardest job on earth. But I think the word unique is probably the best descriptor for it um, because we're dealing with people who are, like you said, broken and sinful, and the context in which we're working in is church. So what we're doing is we're trying to speak to people's spiritual needs and address spiritual issues. If you hear something in the background that sounds like a, a dental drill, it's not. <laughs> it's, we're doing some work on the building right now. And they warned me. They were like, hey, I know you're recording your podcast Wednesday morning, but uh, we're going to be doing some work. And I was like, okay, well, I'll just nice. apologize. So anyway, so that's what that is. If you hear a saw going on every now and again, it's not a dental drill, and it's not in your mind. It's actually in the background. So We're a, we're um, a working, working man. We're a blue-collar podcast. Yeah. And by blue-collar podcast, I mean they're doing the blue-collar work, <laughs> and I'm doing the podcasting. Uh, Dave, why do you think pastors are so often viewed with suspicion and criticized so frequently it seems like in in some context pastors can do nothing right yeah yeah you you occasionally do get the the people who are sitting and attending and being involved and but you can kind of sense that they are looking for that that one hiccup that you make or that one mistake or that one error that you you know um accidentally teach or something so yeah there is a there is a high level of scrutiny and i think that that's um, sort of a defense mechanism that some people portray, and you know, in those situations, I usually just take a playbook, a play out of out of Moses's playbook, where I just fall on my face before God and say, "Yeah, absolutely, I'm, I'm not mm. qualified, and I'm, I'm not worthy to do what I'm called to do, mm. and it's only through the grace of God that I'm doing it and and able to do this." Um, but yeah, I think I think it's a defense mechanism because people see. Um, and they don't know how to come to terms with their own brokenness and fallenness. Mm. And I think that's part of being a leader and a shepherd is teaching people how to cope with that and how to walk through the fact and the truth that we are in need of salvation. <clears throat> yeah, that's a good way to, to put it. Um, it was John Mark Comer. I was reading his blog the other day, and uh, he wrote a post about... Um, you know, what pastors are to do with their hurt. And if you're interested in that, it's a really, really good, I think he wrote it on Kerry uh, Newhoff, his blog, but John Mark Comer is a brilliant writer, but he, he talked about this phenomena of um, projection that many people mm -hmm. put on pastors. Mm. So like often pastors become the whipping boy and they become the, you know, they, we, we stand almost as a mascot in some people's lives for every other type of leader that came before us. Mm. which is an interesting thing. So if somebody grew up in a dysfunctional house with an authoritative parent and there's like this, um, you know, thing we say that may trigger them and remind them of that, then we become the one that stands for that. Mm. <laughs> Does that make sense? I, and yeah, I'm yeah. probably not doing his article justice, but he talked just about that, how we have such an amazing responsibility from the Lord to steward our leadership well and within that, there's a tremendous amount of, I think, power that this role that God has given the leader of a local church has. And so often what happens is um, mm. 
we, we stand in for, in the minds of, of many people, all the ones that came before us that may have not stewarded that well. And that's mm. often why we're viewed with a lot of suspicion and we're, we're often criticized and scrutinized. I think another facet of this would be, too, that we are constantly preaching the Word of God, and the Word of God brings conviction. Yeah. And conviction has, in, in every human, has different responses. So people mm-hmm. can become angry or they can become repentant. And I think if you preach the word of God the, in an appropriate way, you're going to you're going to see those two manifestations pop up in your congregation. Mm-hmm. Um, and the people that are repentant, obviously, we can work with them. You know, we can we can shepherd them. But the people who are become angry because of that conviction, um, you know, they need more time for the Holy Spirit to work on their hearts and to and to draw their hearts closer. But um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's interesting dynamic, and it's like we have to first of all, I think, and one of the ways I kind of do it is I is I put myself out there and I say things like, let's take self righteous pride for instance. I say, man, guys, based on this verse that Paul is writing here, we need to be on guard. I need to be on guard for self righteous pride. Mm-hmm. I, Gabe Rutledge, struggle with self righteous pride and and stubbornness and. And, and anger and t- you know like reading Galatians 5 and the fruit of the spirit I put myself mm-hmm. out there first and I say Gabe Rutledge first and foremost I want you guys to be aware that he is struggling with these things mm-hmm. and then I say things something like and I'm going to go out on a limb and say that you do as well mm-hmm. and and I, I try to soften that anger and that response in a sense sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't but when you say first and foremost I am not perfect I am not flawless and I think Sometimes people, especially um, maybe coming out of Roman Catholicism, they tend to place a high level of sanctity on the um, yeah. the clergymen and say that, mm-hmm. you know, in the Roman Catholic world, these guys could do no evil. Right. You know, and they were like in they, they almost like, especially especially if you get in some like really traditional Roman Catholic situations. Well, yeah, I mean, the whole point of a priest is the priest, you know, stands in the place, mm-hmm. <laughs> like intercedes for the people to God. So the priest has a direct connection with God that the people don't have. So of course yeah. the priest is going to be on a different level than the people are, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think in, you know, the, mm. the Bible-believing and, and Protestant Christian realm, we need to, to make sure first and foremost that we're putting out there that we as shepherds, we as pastors and leaders— are just as fallen as you are. Absolutely. But the only Absolutely. difference is we have a calling and anointing to be shepherds and overseers of the flock that we've been entrusted with. Absolutely. It doesn't make us holier. It doesn't make us less sinful. Mm-hmm. It just... It doesn't make us less human either. Yeah, exactly, right? exactly. Yeah, so we're going to get into this today. And, and um, so, you know, Gabe texted me earlier this week and just said, hey, what do you, what do you think about doing a a show on some of the hurt that pastors and church leaders experience. And um, I thought that was such a good idea just because, like we said earlier, that doesn't get talked about as nearly as much as the hurt that pastors sometimes inflict. Um, and just a disclaimer as we go through some of this today, um, almost all of these things we're going to talk about are not unique just to Gabe and I. Um I have had the opportunity over the past 10 years or so to sit down with pastors literally from all over the world and walk with them through some of the situations that they have um, 
been walking through. And man, I don't care if you're a pastor in Uganda or in El Salvador or California or New York or Tennessee or Canada. If you shepherd the people of God, you're probably at some point going to experience one of these things. And so, like a disclaimer, if you attend my church, um, I'm not saying that I regularly experience this from my people. I have a fantastic church. I love you guys so much. A great congregation. You guys love me and my family exceptionally well. But I think no matter how healthy of a church you have as a pastor, you're probably going to experience some of these hurts. Is that fair, Gabe? Yeah, 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 absolutely. And I don't want it, I don't want people to listen to this podcast and think, you know, maybe you have a calling on your life to be a pastor, to some sort of ministerial leadership. I don't want this to discourage you from that. that and I don't want us to focus only on the negatives or anything like that. Which, um, Our next question is, what makes being a pastor worth it? And that is huge. And, and for me to sit here, having experienced hurt, having experienced betrayal, and have having had to absorb a lot of stuff, I can say with 100% certainty that it is absolutely worth it. Amen. 100%. And Amen. Here's, here's what makes it worth it is seeing lives transformed. Amen. Yep. Watching people come to the gospel and respond to it in the way that the Holy Spirit would want them to respond to it. Yep. That Absolutely. It. 100%. And and yeah, I mean like I said earlier there's a lot of jobs that have their own set of challenges and pains. But um it, they're rewarding, you know? And it's same with being a mm-hmm. pastor. Like Gabe said, when you see that life change, when you see somebody come to faith in Christ, when you see a marriage restored, when you see a you know, a, a family dynamic that was broken, get put back together, or somebody, um, you know, genuinely experienced that life change brought about through the Holy Spirit and their faith in Christ. It's It makes everything worth it that we go through. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to go through just some of these um, in an attempt to maybe shed light on this. And if you are a pastor, I just want you to be encouraged to know that you're not alone. And if you're not a pastor but you attend a local church, I want you to maybe just take some time to pray for your pastor today as we're going through this, and and hopefully just to build kind of a, a case for us to be empathetic and compassionate towards some of the people that lead us. Um, and I want to also say, if you are a pastor and you feel lonely and you feel like you don't have a counselor or a pastor or somebody that you can talk to, there's an amazing ministry called Standing Stone Ministry, and um, I have been seeing a counselor through Standing Stone Ministry for the past uh, three years now. And Standing Stone Ministry is all about shepherding shepherds. They exist to guide ministry leaders into healthy ministry by establishing trusted, confidential relationships with pastors and ministry leaders. So basically, it's a ministry that offers free counseling to pastors and their wives, and they're all over the U.S. Um, so if you are in the U.S. and you're listening and you're a pastor and you need to talk to somebody— you can go to standingstoneministry.org and get connected with one of their shepherds. So mm. just throwing out this, that disclaimer before we get going. So cool. You ready? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So some of the hurt pastors and church leaders experience, I think one of the most common ones that I hear about from most pastors I work with or talk to is burnout and emotional f- fatigue from being around the brokenness and hurt of others. Um can also be caused by working too many hours, but I think most often it's caused by not having anyone 
in a pastor's life to shepherd or encourage them. So just like this intense feeling of loneliness and isolation. Um, and then I think that comes from just a lot of things. I think one of the things is like the feeling of wanting to be known as just Josh and not Pastor Josh, right? Or just Gabe and not Pastor Gabe. Mm-hmm. Like feeling like everybody sees a version of you that's idealized, but they don't really know the real you. So you just feel completely unknown by people. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. Or you, or everyone wants to you to see a version of them. Exactly. Um, you know, yep. I remember lining up all of my men of honor for my wedding, and you were there that day, and, and the pastor that was marrying us was someone I really deeply respected, and I very much put him up on a pedestal, and I was like, this guy is can do no, no evil, you know, and kind of, t- I was, you know, um, young 20, early twenties. And, and, uh, he was standing there and kind of in this little trail and we we're about to walk out and actually start the wedding ceremony. And I think one of my, my men of honor either said a curse word or said it, <laughs> said wasn't an, me. No, it wasn't. Or said an inappropriate joke or maybe both or something like that. And it was within like eight feet of this pastor who's about to officiate my wedding in like 10 minutes. And, you know, this pastor, like I said, I highly looked up to him. He, he counseled Stacy and I and everything. And I, I just like immediately like looked over at him to see if he was like paying attention. And he just like, he like locked eyes with me. And it was like this moment of like, Gabe, I am so disappointed. In you. <laughs> so well, like, yeah, I mean, it kind of is that as a pastor, though, like somebody will slip up and say curse word. And then they'll look over and see you and be like, oh, sorry, pastor. And it's like, yeah. You, you really think I've never heard any of that ever before in my life? Like, my ears are going to burst into flames just because, you know, you, you say a dirty word. Yeah. Yeah. No, but I think that, like, that kind of unique way that people approach us of not treating us like humans, but treating us like a version of ourselves that they see us as mm. can can lead to us just feeling really lonely and feeling like, man, nobody really wants to get all that close because they feel like they can't be themselves around me yeah yeah um i think with that too like there's that shame and stigma when a pastor has their own set of personal struggles so you know a pastor is struggling with you know a a secret sin um you know a pastor is struggling with his marriage a pastor is struggling you know with with temptation and often the inner monologue is if I get honest and talk with somebody about my sin or my issues, I could lose my job. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so a lot of times sin and struggles just kind of get hidden and don't get dealt with because everybody else has a person to go to to be accountable, but a pastor feels like I, I don't. Yeah. Yeah. And I would add to that. There's sometimes there's a, a lack of separation of church work and your personal relationship or time of study with Christ. Yep. So like, for instance, you can kind of get in this rut in this routine of I'm sitting down and opening the Bible this morning because I am preparing to deliver a sermon on this passage this week. Yep. And it's, it's you know, that should be our motives should be, I want to read this passage so I can get to know God better and, mm-hmm. and deepen my relationship with him. And yeah, absolutely. I'm totally guilty of sitting down and reading like this week is is acts 10 like i'm studying acts 10 i've you know read it this week and everything but to be able to carve out and just say you know what um i am going to be instead 
personally speaking, reading through the book of Ephesians and studying through Ephesians for my own personal study and my own personal relationship um, and, and um, spiritual improvement, um, it's hard to do that, to carve out that time because, yeah. you know, you're looking for any personal study time. It's like focused on what am I teaching on this week? What am I, what am I, what am I preparing mm-hmm. for this week? And that's tough. You, it's a loss, basically. Absolutely. And it can be a really, really like dangerous place to get in where mm-hmm. praying and studying the Bible feels like your job. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so like, and I've been there before so many times where that's what I spend my day doing. And so, you know, getting up early in the morning, instead of wanting to read my Bible, I'm just like, man, I did that all day yesterday. All I did was study the Bible yesterday. <laughs> why would I Why would I want to do that first thing in the morning? And, you know, that, that can kind of be a place where the wires get crossed and mm-hmm. it can lead to a lot of spiritual burnout. Um, but I think, like, a real thing my wife talks about in her job that I've experienced before as a pastor is this thing called compassion fatigue. Mm, yeah. And, and, like, it's a real thing that people that work in basically care professions experience where, man, you are around people's hurts and brokenness all day. Every time the phone rings, you're, you're, you know, picking it up to somebody who's going through a crisis. And what happens is if that's your, if that's your life just all the time and you're not getting any sort of, um, you're not getting any sort of care yourself, you're just caring for everybody else, then what starts to happen is you start lacking the empathy that you really need to have. Yeah. And it's not because you don't love people. It's not because you don't want to love people. It's just like you don't know why, but, man, you just don't feel any compassion towards them anymore. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and that doesn't mean a pastor, again, is heartless. He's, you know, cold and distant and hates people. It just is a real thing that anybody, no matter if they're a pastor or a counselor or whatever, if they don't have somebody caring for them, then they can get to a point where they just they stop being able to care adequately for other people. And then they do this thing called emotional hoarding, mm. which I've done before, where you see somebody in the grocery store and you avoid them because you don't feel like you have any emotional... <laughs> You're laughing because you've probably experienced too. You don't feel like you have any emotional um, bandwidth to give them your full and complete and undivided attention. And you can almost guess like they're going to tell you that they need prayer for something. And you're just like, man, I just don't have it in me today to do that because that's what you've been doing all day. Hmm. And a lot of times this is the hurt that pastors go through and it leads to just burnout, emotional fatigue, loneliness, and just feeling like, man, I am a pastor for everybody else, but who's going to pastor me? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it creates a cycle, I think, where people can sense that lack of compassion that you might have. Or not lack, I'm sorry, not lack of compassion, but um, this this empathy burnout. Mm-hmm. They can kind of sense that, so they stop coming to you with concerns or stop coming to you with issues. And it creates sort of this like backlog of, of um, openness and a blockage, I should say, of openness between you and the people you're trying to shepherd. And so it's not only important to... Um, offload some of this this uh hurt or this fatigue you know to keep that channel of communication open and it's 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 so important because if you just give an ounce of portrayal that you're you're worn out and you don't want to hear anybody else's problems right now for at least a couple months you know Mm -hmm. then people are very perceptive and they'll pick up on that and like i said it'll just create this this cycle of 
of closure of those different channels of communication. That's, Absolutely. But I, I would say too, it's really important if you're a pastor and you're listening to this and, and you're experiencing that, I think it's important to have, maybe it's another pastor of a different church or a couple within your congregation. Maybe they're helped found the church or maybe they're elders or co-pastors mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. have um, real good friends in that um, church or, or like I said, a different church, even um, go out to lunch with them, go out to dinner with them as couples, like do double dates with them. And yeah. we have, we have a couple friends in our congregation and um, they are just like super at encouraging us and just befriending us. Um, anytime we go anywhere with them and we walk out of the restaurant, it is like, we are just completely recharged. We've laughed. We've had a fun time. We've just been able to be ourselves and it's, it's just so yeah. refreshing. And I, I really, really appreciate them. Yeah. Every pastor needs that. Like mm-hmm. real friends that aren't impressed by you. <laughs> Ser- I mean, seriously, yeah. like they don't know you as, as pastor Gabe. I mean, they, they do know that's a, that's your calling from the Lord and that's what God's called you to do, but they know you <laughs> as Gabe. Right. I mean, yeah. And we all need that. Every human needs that, right? So every pastor needs that. And if a pastor doesn't have that and feels like he's always on and he's always got to put on the the act or put on the pastor costume, right? Then yeah. then he's going to get lonely and he's going to get burnt out. Well, I think um, even Paul had his Barnabas, you know. Yeah. Barnabas was there as his encourager and Absolutely. always uplifting him and saying, "Hey Paul, let's let's get up, let's keep doing this," you know. And, yep. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, number next one. Uh <laughs> number 2. Um the reason I think some pastors are hurt and experience hurt and brokenness is people's unreasonable expectations. Mm. And the rationale for a lot of people's expectations kind of goes like this. A pastor is supposed to do, or a pastor is supposed to be fill in the blank, right? (laughs) You're not all that good at blank, or you don't do blank. Therefore, what kind of a pastor are you? Like you're not pastor Mm. at all, right? Mm -hmm. And I think people's expectations can be so multifaceted. Um, I think one of the big ones is accessibility. So like the the text that comes in, you know, at 530 when the guy just got home and he's trying to get dinner on the table and be with his wife and kids, and the text is, can you meet right now? Or can you talk right now? Mm. And the answer is no, I can't, but I can talk later this evening or I can meet tomorrow morning, right? And and some people just don't understand that. Some people believe mm. in their mind that a pastor is supposed to be accessible 24-7, 365. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know where that expectation came from, but there's some people that genuinely have that expectation. Um, a pastor should be accessible. A pastor should be able to meet with people and talk with people and pray with people. That's what a pastor does. But just because they're accessible does not mean they are accessible 365, 24-7, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think it's important to remember that first and foremost, you're responsible for shepherding your own family <clears throat> as a pastor. Yes. Yep. And that if you don't have in your day uh, places where the phone goes away and you're sitting down at the table or you're spending time out riding bikes with your kids or pushing them on a swing or something, you know, ultimately, and I, I experience this towards my own parents, ultimately they're going to be jaded towards, mm-hmm. towards the ministry and towards, they're going to be resentful. Yeah. Towards their yep. own faith. Um, Absolutely. Especially in, in light of seeing some of the, um, some of the drama or some of the different scenarios within the church as a pastor's kid, it's, 
um, couple that with my dad was kind of absent or my dad put the church in, in front of my own interests. So it's important, I think, to, to have a portion of your day blocked out where you're completely inaccessible by the people within the church mm-hmm. and you're 100% accessible to the people who are within your family. Yeah. Yeah, so, I, you know, some people have those expectations of just immediate and constant and unending accessibility, and it's really mm-hmm. hard to meet those expectations of people that have those. Um, other people have unreasonable expectations of a pastor's ability. So when they have these expectations, they're expecting the pastor to be able to fix their marriage or save their wayward child. Um, mm-hmm. And those are, man, those are really disheartening to try to kind of curb people's expectations. I mean, I'll, I'll sit and talk with you and your wife, but, you know, I'm not, I'm not able to, I'm not a marriage counselor. I didn't get trained as a marriage counselor. Like you might need to sit down with a marriage counselor, but ultimately like I'm even a marriage counselor can't fix your marriage. It's the mm-hmm. Lord that has to fix your marriage. Um, but I think also people expect their pastor to be everything, like to be an expert at everything. So they expect their pastor to be a brilliant uh, orator and a, just an amazing preacher and theologian, mm-hmm. and they expect him to be a dynamic CEO that just knows leadership and knows finance and knows vision and and is a you know almost a subcontractor that knows how to you know oversee building projects and at the same time an insightful and masterful clinical counselor that that knows psychology and psych and at the at the same time <laughs> he's also like their best buddy that's super extroverted. And he's always 100% on, and every time he walks in a room, he just lights the room up, and if he doesn't talk to them, then, oh my gosh, he's, he's not a pastor at all. He didn't talk to me. Mm. And so, man, that's so hard when people seem to just expect a pastor to be superhuman. Mm-hmm. Like, never allowing him to get tired, never allowing him to have a bad day, never allowing him to sometimes get irritable or make mistakes. Um, when you feel like you're living under those expectations, it's it's that's hard. <laughs> One of the insecurities I have as a leader and a shepherd of a congregation is that I, I love to teach and it's just, I, that's just my heart is teaching, but I'm an introvert. And mm-hmm. when it comes time to, you know, greet people and talk to people and, and carry on small talk, usually by the end of the day and after our services, I'm emotionally, I'm just like zapped. I'm ready to go sit <laughs> yeah, on the couch too. with Stacy and just, you know, yeah. And I'm like, and part of it is like, it's just how I'm, how I'm wired. You know, it's not yep. like I dislike people or anything. It's just, I interact with so many people in that 24 hour time span. I'm mm-hmm. like, by the end of it, I'm just like, I'm beat. And, yep. um, I need that kind of recharge, but you know, I'm just not great. I feel like I'm not great at like one after the other, after the other, after the other carrying on, um, conversations one-on-one with people mm-hmm. um and and i want to be good at that but sometimes i, don't, I feel like i'm not um yeah. and it's something well, i'm trying to improve on but yeah it's an insecurity of mine and sometimes i, I oh, do think too. are people projecting this like super human uh great at giving these orations but then also very dynamic and kind of like can engage multiple people standing in a circle together and this mm-hmm. kind of stuff that stresses me out i'm like me should too. i should i be good at that you know yeah well here's the i mean the truth is the reason that you're probably so gifted as a teacher is because you're introverted, right? I mean, teachers mm. typically are introverted. Speakers typically are introverted. And I think, you know, if you're listening to this and maybe you're frustrated at your pastor because you're like, man, he just, like, he's really good at this, but he just stinks at this other thing. Like, he's, just, well, because, like, that's the same for anybody, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're really good at math, 
you may not be the best at art. And if you're really good at art, you're probably not good at math, right? <laughs> and and so your pastor is probably very gifted by the Lord at something, but then he's probably got to work really hard at some of these other things that he might not be naturally gifted at. Mm. And if you expect him to be just like, you know, the best clinical counselor and the best teacher and the best CEO, and then also every time you see him in the grocery store, he's, you know, hey, brother, how you doing? You know, he's super extroverted and he's never tired. You're not looking for a pastor. You're looking for, you know. A life coach or something. Yeah, I don't know. You're looking for uh, one of the Avengers. I don't know what you're looking for. but Yeah, yeah, maybe that. Um, yeah, and I struggle with that too, man. I'm The most exhausting part of my weekend is not teaching on the platform. That energizes me. Mm-hmm. The most exhausting part of my weekend is standing in the lobby before and after service and talking with people. I love it. I love talking mm-hmm. with people, but I feel very insecure at it because I feel mm-hmm. like I'm always going to let somebody down. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I'm always yeah. going to have somebody waiting to talk to me that I'm not going to be able to talk to because somebody else comes and interrupts. And that's really hard for me because I, I look at the room and I'm just like, man, this guy's waiting to talk to me, but this guy's talking to me now. But mm-hmm. then right behind that other guy's waiting to talk to me, there's another guy waiting to talk to me. And then three people deep waiting in line, and then somebody just comes in and interrupts them all to say something. And then that guy talking to me gets disappointed and walks away. And then I'm like, ah, right? And, it, and yeah, so – yeah. You yeah, totally you, you totally nailed it. Yeah, I mean, it's like I've, I've been there and I've done that. And then someone walks up and totally cuts that line of people who yeah. really want to talk to you just to tell you that the toilet is clogged or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you're like, oh, thanks. Thank you for that. Oh, yeah, thank like, you. But yeah, it's, and it's at that moment you're like, okay, hey, guys, I got to go unclog the toilet real quick. Right, you know? right, right, right. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think sometimes people also have the expectation that the pastor doesn't need rest or a day off. Hmm. And, um, you know, everybody needs rest or a day off. God commanded us to Sabbath, right? And mm-hmm. and so um, sometimes when a pastor does take that rest or the day off, sometimes people get really frustrated by that. Like, you're a pastor. You're supposed to be available mm-hmm. every time I need something. And and so that can be really hard, just managing those expectations. Yeah. Um, another thing that pastors deal with is hurt from dealing with church discipline issues or hurt from having to take a stand for truth. Mm. Um, I think I heard, I think it was Matt Chandler was talking about how if a pastor is a shepherd, a lot of times they're dealing with sheep that bite back, <laughs> mm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. They're dealing with the wayward sheep that kind of strayed away from the flock and they're going after that wayward sheep and that that sh- sheep bit them or, mm. you know, kicked them or something. <laughs> um so a lot of times when we're dealing with people who are walking in sin or selfishness or, or maybe they're posing a threat for the rest of the church because of false doctrine they're walking in or on Christ-like behavior they're walking in, um, pastors and elders and church leaders are the ones that have to walk right into that mess and kind of just take one for the team. Hmm. And so we have to deal a lot of times with difficult people who are in sin or really messy and dysfunctional and just mm-hmm. painful situations. And a lot of times we absorb that. Um, sometimes in talking with somebody that's, you know, in an adulterous relationship and their their wife caught them in adultery and mm-hmm. we have to confront that person. Um, sometimes we get yelled at. 
Sometimes we get lied about. Sometimes we get slandered. Sometimes we get misre- misrepresented. Um, sometimes we get blogged about. <laughs> <laughs> That's happened to me a couple of times. Um, I'll tell you a funny story. So a couple of years ago, um, there was a situation that I was meeting with somebody as uh, they were not happy about something happening in the church, and I'm meeting with them, talking with them. It's me, another staff member, and this person. And I always listen to music. Like, it's just always on in the background of my office, whether it's, like, jazz or classical or, like, piano. I just always – I love music. I just have it on all the time. And um, I guess after that meeting was over, this person was not happy with the outcome of it. They left the church, and then they wrote a blog several months later talking about how dysfunctional our church was and how – Mm. horrible our leadership was and they wrote on the blog post that one of the pastors tried to manipulate them by playing um like music to like manipulate their emotions nice <laughs> and i'm like are you serious like that, so you really thought i was playing like soft music in the background like some sort of a cult leader to manipulate your emotions oh, have you ever been in my office any other time i always have music playing um but of course i mean Mamma mia, mamma mia. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that hurts when you get misrepresented or you get slandered yeah. or you get lied about. And, um, you know, it. but if you deal with church discipline issues or you have to, you know, deal with somebody that's a, a tough situation, it, it just hurts. And there's no way around it. It just does. Yeah, that's where this desire, you know, to like be friends with everyone or to be have this like normal relationship with everyone. That's that's sometimes where it comes back to bite you. Um mm-hmm. because yeah, there will be times you're you're a spiritual head of a group of families and sometimes those families get into fights and sometimes you as the mediator and the spiritual head of those families have to say, "Hey guys, you're in the wrong." And and yeah. you sh- you should not have said that or you should not have acted that way. And so these people who you feel like a really close connection with or friends with, um, yeah, sometimes their response to that is, is a lack of repentance and, and, and anger. And you feel like this, it's like this double whammy of like, man, they didn't come to repentance and peace was not made. And then on top of that, I lost people I felt were mm-hmm. really good friends. Yep. And it's like this double grief that you feel, and it's real heavy, and it, it sticks with you a long time. No. Um, but yeah, it's it's an it's really tough. And then yeah, a, like like you said, a third component of that would be that those people who left angry are now misrepresenting the facts. Mm-hmm. And so your response as a human is to be like, well, let me set that record straight. You know, but let me you, get but up you there. Can't. Yeah. No. I mean, yeah. You, you, you just kind of have to absorb it. You know. Yeah. You have to keep on keeping on doing what you know is right and trusting that you know god is just Mm -hmm. and if people are slandering or lying or misrepresenting facts or whatever god's justice will prevail and you just keep you keep on feeding and protecting the flock and it'll all work out and (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's tough. That's, that's a good point. That it, yeah, God is just, and God is the one that's going to work that out. I, I feel like a lot of times in in you know experiences with those kinds of things, a good word picture for that is you just absorb shrapnel, right? Mm, yeah, you, it it's not like one gaping hole that you know because you you know deep down that you're standing for the word and you did the right thing, 
and this person getting upset and angry, you know, they, they're, they're not really angry at you. They're angry at something else. Right. Mm-hmm. And you did the right thing and you have the support of your leadership team and your elders and, and, and the word of God and yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you, you have that shrapnel that just sort of sticks in you, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And sometimes you just keep going, not realizing you've got shrapnel in you. Mm-hmm. And I feel like in my ministry, sometimes the most unlikely times that shrapnel gets brushed up against and it, it hurts. And you're like, oh, man, I didn't know I was still hurting about that. Um, it's funny. I feel like on family vacation, sometimes for me, you know, we'll have a family vacation like once a year. And, or, you know, sometimes we're trying to get better at going away more than just once a year. But sometimes it's like I'll be work, 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 and then we'll get away. And then it's, you know, the phone's off. I'm not around church people. And all of a sudden, all the shrapnel I've absorbed through the year just kind of comes to the surface. Mm. And my wife kind of helps me pick it out. <laughs> just mm. kind of, hey, let's take that little piece of shrapnel and get rid of it and <laughs> get yeah, a band aid yeah. on it, you know? And, um, yeah, and it's like the most unlikely places. Like we were waiting on the, we were at Disney uh, four or five years ago, and uh, we were waiting on the little ferry to take us from Magic Kingdom to the transportation center. And we're just standing there, and it's been a great day. And all of a sudden, I just start talking to her about this situation. I was like, "Hey, uh, that really hurt when this person <laughs> lied about me, and you know this this staff member said this, and we had to let him go, and that that hurt." And mm-hmm. I haven't really told that to you, but I just want to tell it, tell you that hurt. And she just like looked at me and was like, well, yeah, like I, I knew it did. I'm like, yeah, I just felt like I need to say it out loud. And hmm. um, So, yeah, and that, that that's a pain I think that some pastors just absorb. So, yeah. Next one is criticism. <laughs> um, so, I mean, here's here's the deal. We're never above criticism. Mm-hmm. We, we're never above fair criticism and feedback. So, like, the whole touch not the Lord's anointed. Like, <laughs> that's BS. You, we're all anointed by the Lord, right, in our own ways. Pastors are not above scrutiny, criticism, anything like that. The criticism that hurts the most, though, is the kind that you hear about secondhand instead of mm. that person coming to you directly. Mm, yeah. And, and I would say that... 90 to 95% of the criticism that pastors endure comes in the form of uh, secondary, behind the back, or anonymous or faceless criticism. Yeah, yeah. 90 to 95%. Um, Direct criticism is only like 5 to 10%. The other is you hear that somebody's not happy and they're saying this about you to other people. You might even get an anonymous email or anonymous letter or... um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> connection cards that we have in the seat back in front of you in our sanctuary. Sometimes people take the uh, liberty of writing anonymous criticism on that. Um, mm. So, like, some of the criticism we get is fair and warranted because we made a mistake, but a lot of the criticism we get is due to people's lack of spiritual maturity or emotional maturity or relational maturity. Um, sometimes it's because people are looking to blame shift or project on us because mm-hmm. of past hurt or distrust. Or sometimes, like you said earlier, Gabe, it could be somebody feels convicted mm-hmm. and you touched on something that convicted them and now they want to take it out on you and instead of responding to the Spirit, they want to treat you like a persecutor, you know, and cr- yeah. criticize you. Um, but that's, I, I think, again, that's the the one that hurts the most is 
you know, what you hear about secondhand because that person didn't have the maturity to come to you directly. They're just talking about you behind your back and that hurts. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I remember when I first, um, it's been a few years now, four years or so, so I can tell this story, I think, but when I first kind of took position that I take now at our congregation and, and being a teaching elder and pastor, um, there was a, I didn't, I didn't know anybody from anybody. And, and there was a speaker who was supposed to be coming through town and some other people who I really respected raised some concerns about the last time this person came through town, they made some kind of false predictions about something like some kind of false prophecies and they didn't come past. And they were basically like, and, and these are people who did it in a very humble and discreet way. They were like, basically, Hey, if you want to move forward with having this person speak at our church, go for it, but we're probably not going to be there. And we want to just raise these mm-hmm. concerns. And I was like, wow, that's actually, I was like, let's, let's do this. Let's push it off a year. Let's research the matter and then revisit it later or whatever. And, you know, it just so happened like the person who was organizing this whole thing and bringing this speaker in was deeply offended by that and was issuing some Mm -hmm. very sharp criticisms towards that decision um, without, you know, obviously criticisms like very indirectly. So my first reaction was like, wait, who is this person? Like, what are they? How? Why are they saying these things? You know, these are very legitimate concerns coming from very respectable people. Mm-hmm. And so my first reaction was just to call the, call the person. And I just called him up and I was like, hey, um, I want to have coffee with you. And let's sit and talk about some of the things I hear you saying, some, some very belittling and very um, slanderous things. And, you know, I said, let's just let's sit down and have coffee and let's talk about these things. So I sat down and had coffee with him about two hours. And lo and behold, much of it was just a complete misunderstanding. Mm-hmm. And... Then I, then I went above and beyond and called the speaker that we actually canceled on and said, hey, here's the reasons why we canceled. Um, and I just wanted to make you aware. I think you deserve to know. And then the speaker himself was like, wow, yeah, I think based on what you just told me, you guys are making the right decision. Wow. I wouldn't have me come speak either. <laughs> and it was just wow. like, wow, okay. So awesome. I just took this criticism that was being, you know, <laughs> sent indirectly towards me and saying, okay, well, I'm going to get right to the horse's mouth here and Mm -hmm. sit down and let's just confront this in a very loving way, in a very like private way. And let's just, let's just get this out there and do it. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. And it's funny. Sometimes when you go straight to that person that you hear is criticizing you, sometimes either they weren't really, and it was misperceived as that, or, uh, they back down from it and, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, back it up and say, no, that's actually not, wasn't, not, wasn't, it wasn't what I was saying. And, and yeah. you know, but the, the common denominator is when you do that, you rarely have any subsequent criticisms because <laughs> then they realize, wait a second, this person is not going to tolerate that. Yeah. If I criticize them indirectly again, like that, they're going to probably call me and want to sit mm-hmm. down and talk with me. And I think that's important. Like you said, we, sh- we are open to criticism but there's a way in which you criticize a leader that is beneficial to that leader. And then there's Absolutely. a way in which you criticize a leader that is harmful to you. Well, and it's not even criticism at that point. It's gossip. And last time I checked, yeah. that, that's sin, right? Yeah, so there's absolutely. a sinful way to do that. And that often happens when people are disgruntled about you know, a church and, and leadership. They're not bold enough to actually go and do something about it. They just want to talk and grumble mm. and yeah. gossip. And, and that's, that hurts to hear that happening, you know. Um, well, let's keep going just because we got some to get through. We're running out of time. Uh, next is the feeling of betrayal. And I, and I 
want to phrase it that way, the feeling of betrayal, because sometimes it is an actual betrayal that a pastor experiences, and sometimes it's a perceived betrayal, but the feeling is there nonetheless, right? Mm. So the definition of betrayal is basically when somebody that you trusted or maybe even called your friend did something hurtful or harmful to you, your church, or your family. That's what makes it betrayal, because you trusted them, you loved them, you thought, man, this person has always got my back. And then they can actually betray you. It could be somebody that stabbed you in the back, and then they did something immoral or they did something hurtful, um, either to you personally or to your church or even to your family or somebody else on your staff or your team. And those those things are real. They happen. I've experienced that. It hurts. Um, but then most commonly what pastors experience is not an actual betrayal, but just like a perceived betrayal, like it feels like betrayal. Mm-hmm. And, and here's like probably the most common scenario. I hear this from pastors all the time. So a family in your church is plugged in, invested, serving, giving. They're in a life group, whole nine yards. And then they just up and leave mm. uh, for no good reason without ever having a conversation with you, without ever telling you, without ever talking to you. Mm. And that isn't really betrayal, but it feels like it. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's very discouraging. Yeah. And of course, when you don't have a conversation with that person, the your mind goes crazy and you, you go through all the things of what did I do? What did I say? You know, did something happen? Did, you know, are we totally, are we just heretics now? Is that why they left? And and the challenging part is when people won't tell you, <laughs> then it's like you you're just in the dark and you just have to wonder, you know? Yeah. The next would be hurt to the pastor's family. And Gabe, you touched on this. Um, when the expectations of a church and the pool of ministry pull a pastor away from his family, mm-hmm. that's not only hurtful to his wife and children, it's also hurtful to the pastor to see his spouse and children suffering. Yeah. And that can be really painful. Um, I've heard of stories. I've never experienced this in my church, praise God, but I've heard of stories of church members criticizing a pastor's spouse and criticizing a pastor's children and holding them to very unreasonable expectations of how they're to act and behave. Because, you know, you're a pastor's wife, right? You're supposed to act like this. And that's, that's hard. It's like my kids are kids, right? Let them be kids. Your kids get to be kids. My kids don't. Um, but then also just having to deal with people who want to get to know you or befriend you or act like they're your best friend, and then you find out the only reason that they want to do that is so they can get the inside scoop on what's <laughs> going on in the church. And then when you see your kids lose friends because that family left the church, or even like your kids hear people talking about you, mm. that's that's been a interesting one for me. We had some folks leave our church last year because of COVID stuff, and we were trying to keep, you know, COVID numbers down, and we asked people to wear masks. Good, you know, good way to uh, make your church shrink in uh, rural Middle <laughs> Tennessee is bring up the subject of masks. People would have thought we were given, you know, tattoos of pentagrams and the Soviet <laughs> hammer and sickle just by asking somebody to wear a face mask when they came to church. So we had a ton of people leave, and um, I was out at the ballpark with my son, and uh, some kid as we were walking by the ball field because I was coaching my son's baseball team. Was like, "Hey, are you the pastor of the experience?" And I turned around. And I was like, 
yeah. He goes, we used to go to your church, but we don't anymore. <laughs> and Aiden's just looking at me, and he goes, Daddy, why do they don't go to the church anymore? And I was like, son, I'm not, I'm not going to say. Like, <laughs> and it was just funny because like my son got, became aware of the fact that, hey, there was a family that he knows and he's playing ball with, and they left because of something that they weren't happy about. Yeah. And that's that's kind of a weird dynamic of you know trying to like navigate your kids through that. You know, Aiden's asking me, Dad, what were they not happy about? Why did they leave? And it's like, I right, son, I'm not. Let's let's play baseball. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, and I can say as a as a pastor's son, I have experienced all of the above. It's a very these are really real points. And um, yeah, it's something I think we have to figure out as as husbands and as fathers how much do we insulate our families from this? And yeah. there's some things we just can't, it's impossible. They'll, they'll have to ask, you know, what happened to this family and those kids? I thought they were pretty cool. And what happened to them? And sometimes you just have to sit them down and say, look, they disagree on X, Y, and Z. And mm-hmm. that, that is hurtful. So yeah, your, your family is inevitably pulled into this hurt by a certain extent. Yeah. that's hard. And I still, I'm, I mean, my kids are young. Aiden is just now starting to ask questions about stuff like that. So I'm, I mm-hmm. am by no means, like I, I am so new to that. So, um, the next thing that can be hurtful to a pastor is just the high levels of scrutiny that a pastor experiences on his personal life. And what I mean by that is his hobbies, what he does outside of the church, the house he lives in, the vacations he takes with his family. Uh, when people tell him what an easy job he has, right? I wish I could just work one day a week. <laughs> Um, telling him he makes too much money to just work one day a week. <laughs> so, so here's the truth. Like, and I, I've been listening to a lot of um, discernment uh, podcasts and blogs because there's an incident of a church down in Chattanooga, which is right outside of where I grew up, about a pastor who was cheating on his wife and, in my opinion, making far too much money for somebody in the in the pastorate. So there are definitely situations like that of somebody not living up to his biblical qualifications and getting paid way too much and not working hard enough. That happens all the time. And if that's happening in your church, man, you do have the right as a church member to speak up in the right ways. Like go to the board, go to the elders, go to the pastor, or if you're not seeing anybody listen, go find another church or a pastor you can trust, right? I mean, I'm not saying you should never ask questions about that. Do ask questions, pursue accountability. Yes and amen to all that. But the truth is, about 38% of churches in the U.S. have bivocational pastors. Mm-hmm. Um, so that means that there's a lot of churches where the pastor isn't even working at that church full-time. He's part-time, or he's not even getting paid to do it, right? Or if he's getting paid, he's getting paid basically an honorarium. Mm-hmm. And then in the 62 churches or 62% of churches in America that do have full-time pastors, most of them are not overpaid. Most of them are underpaid. <laughs> so I looked yesterday on the, the median pay for pastors in the U.S., full-time pastors in the U.S. It starts at about, it's the, the range is either $17,000 annually or $48,000. That's the range, between seventeen dollars to $48,000 annually. Hmm. So if you just want to like find the middle ground within that, most pastors are making less than teachers. Hmm. And they're trying to support a family on that, most of them. Yeah. So 
saying that they're all lazy and overpaid because they only work one day a week, that's not really fair to most pastors. Of course, there are some pastors that are overpaid and don't work hard and are lazy. Yes and amen. (laughs) But most are just not. Just the numbers kind of let that be clear. Is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So if, if I just take and quantify the amount of hours I spend studying for a teaching or giving a sermon on a particular passage that week, it's probably, I would say, in the ballpark of 10 to 15 hours of study and preparation just for delivering a teaching on a passage. Yeah. And that that's just one small component of my role. And mm-hmm. if I take and quantify the amount of hours I spend on the phone or visiting or, you know, helping fix somebody's something on their house or whatever, you know, it's, the list goes on of, of different components of your job and, and your responsibilities. But yeah, I would say, I would say with a hundred percent confidence that most pastors in America do not get paid enough. Yeah. And I think that's what makes it so hard is the ones that get all the attention and the headlines are the ones that are making too much. Mm-hmm. And so there's this, you know, association with, oh, well, pastors, they're just, phew. They're just fleecing people for money, and they're just, you know, all they do is just get up there and talk about the Bible, and they're making... Mm-hmm. And and being a pastor is a super weird job because you sometimes have people scrutinizing you on whether or not you're spiritual enough for the office of pastor based on really weird criteria that they've set up in their minds. <laughs> so not like the biblical criteria of like husband of one wife and not given to wine, but things like is the car you drive uh, modest enough (laughs) or how big is the house you live in or how often is your car parked out in front of the church office during working hours, those kind of things. Mm. And their minds are, you know, what are you doing, man? Like, are you actually working? Are you doing anything? You know? (laughs) And, and I don't have that at my church at all. Everybody here is again, super supportive, super understanding. I don't feel that at all, but I've talked to so many pastors that, there was one pastor I was friends with that um, his elders monitored his computer usage, and he would have YouTube music playing in the background, and he's working in his office. Hmm. And his elders called him in for a meeting because they said, we've noticed that you spend four or five hours a day watching YouTube videos instead of working on your sermon. Nice. <laughs> so they're literally like <laughs> spying on his internet usage. And saying we don't pay you to watch YouTube videos, we pay you to write sermons. Like, nice. what are you doing? That kind of, and it's like, man, this pastor was just like crushed because he's like, man, I feel like I'm constantly being watched, and I'm having to prove to everybody that I'm working hard and I'm living righteously, I'm living modestly, and it's just exhausting and it's painful because it feels like nobody trusts me. Um, so I think that's a painful thing that some pastors can deal with. Yeah. Uh, another one is comparing a pastor's leadership or preaching to that of another church or another pastor. Hmm. So Gabe, do you ever get this line? You know, in my old church, we did this. <laughs> and I always am thinking yeah. in the back of my mind, well, that's funny. You left your old church. <laughs> Why did you leave your old church if you came? Um, or here's one. Ha- have you heard of blank? Like I've been, man, really podcasting his sermons and he's incredible. Hmm. Um, and, and, you know, of course, I podcast other people's sermons too, but a lot of times in the back of every pastor's mind, they're going, man, I'm never going to be good enough as I'm never be as good of a pastor or a preacher or speaker as that person. 
Uh, and here's one I heard at our uh, newcomers class this this month. You know, we're really looking for a church like blank. Hmm. And in my mind, I'm just like, well, then why don't you go to that church? <laughs> It's a church in Arizona, and they're like, we're really, man, we just really want a church just like that church in Arizona. And I'm thinking, back, well, then move to Arizona and go to that church. Like, what are you, what are you doing yeah. here? I mean, I, I don't know what to tell you, you know? And I think this is probably a symptom of commercialism that has seeped into the, the church and the, the mindset of the church, you know, instead of thinking, well, I'm, I'm looking, here, here's, how, here's how I guess the first century Christians would have looked at doing church is like, I'm putting, I'm putting myself under this spiritual headship of a real life person who knows me and can hold me accountable to the gospel and can teach me the word of God. Um, but now in, you know, with the advent of the internet and all these, you know, any given, any given town in the South is going to have dozens of churches that you can choose from. Um, now we look at church completely different. We look at it as experiential thing of like, what do you got for me? Mm -hmm. We completely flipped it on its head and it's, it's really unhealthy and, um, yeah, that, that kind of does, it pushes its way into our realm. Um, and sometimes we have to kind of give people a paradigm shift of like, look, this isn't, this isn't commercialism. This isn't, you're not, I'm not here to give you a great pick me up speech or oration. You know, mm-hmm. you're going to be sorely disappointed in that. Um, you're here to have a group of people who can hold you accountable to the gospel and teach you the word of God in face to face, you know? Right. Well, and I think the danger of comparing your church to that church that you're podcasting or your pastor to that pastor you're podcasting is you don't know the full context of that other church. You just see mm-hmm. the highlight reels mm-hmm. because man, you're just watching YouTube videos or you're just listening. You don't, you don't know how that church really is if you're there and that's your church. It's so easy to idealize it and go, man, mm-hmm. I just wish my church was more like that church. If we just were like that church, then we would be the kind of church I want. Um, mm-hmm. And chances are, if if you're like that, you're probably sitting next to a couple dozen people in your church that probably have a different church they're podcasting that they wish their church was more like. Mm. You know? So that is the danger, I think, of the whole online content is people can just comb through it and find any teacher or any church that perfectly fits with all their preferences. Mm. And then they bring that into their church, and they're like, well, why isn't my pastor more like this, you know? Um, last one, and then we'll, we'll land the plane. Something that's painful for pastors is having to deal with difficult people who are constant naysayers, who are suspicious and untrusting, and who are impossible to please. So I don't care how healthy and how awesome and how Christ-centered and spirit-filled and biblical your church is in any group of people, in any group country, any continent, any ethnicity, there will always be folks who will always have a complaint, no matter what you give them or do for them. Hmm. So no sermon is ever going to be good enough, right? Which, Gabe, if you ever got this feedback, it's like, Pastor, that was such a good sermon. But you know, in that one part, there's something else going on with that text. You know, that you just <laughs> missed it. You didn't talk about it. You're like, oh, thank oh, you yeah. for that that backhanded compliment. That's not really yeah. a compliment. <laughs> Uh, no ministry is ever effective enough. No small group is ever welcoming or spiritual enough, whatever. Mm. And, and man, over time, dealing with people like that can just get exhausting <laughs> and just really hurtful. Yeah. But that's a real thing. 
Yeah, it absolutely is. It's just, you know, they say, uh, if you want to please everyone, don't be a leader, just sell ice cream. <laughs> absolutely. Everybody likes yeah. ice cream. I think we get this um, misconception as being leaders that my job is to try to please everyone or make everyone happy or make everyone agree, um, have this unanimous, like, we're all bought into this vision. We're all in one accord. And that just is rarely, if ever, a reality. Yep. Absolutely. So Gabe, we got two more sections. You pick which one you want. One of them is how to help if you're a church member. The other one is how to get help if you're a pastor. So which one do you want to take? Uh, I'll take the first one, how to help if you're a church member. Um, And this is huge. And I I hope we have time. I want to read a little little Facebook post from a friend of mine. Yeah. Number one, it it. says to pray, pray for your pastor. And this is from a um, Messianic rabbi by the name of Rabbi Eric Tokajer. He's from Pensacola, Florida. And he wrote this really cool uh, Facebook post. He says, over the past few years in my world, I experienced many many difficult things. We had a devastating hurricane that did some severe damage to one of my son's uh, synagogues and my other son's home. Both took many months to repair, as well as our synagogue, which is still being repaired. We also dealt with the closing of my synagogue for a few weeks and the reopening of my synagogue and returning of our people, which took much longer. The political disunity over the divisive election, the religious disunity caused by false prophets and choices I made or didn't make trying to deal with the virus, the racial disunity within my country caused by both our horrible racial history and the many disagreements about how to go forward, not to mention the major financial issues experienced by myself, my family, and my friends due to the government close downs and mandates. In addition, and more devastating than all of the above, was the deaths of nine close friends, including the death of my wife's best friend and my best friend. If your rabbi or pastor's last two years was anything like mine, has, uh, his, his last two years have been equally difficult. But you may not have noticed because they have continued to walk faithful to their calling by leading their sheep and continuing to preach and teach words of faith and encouragement. However, I beg of you, please, please, please pray for them and me because it would be nearly impossible for them to not have become a little broken over the past few years. You may not have noticed their brokenness because to those whose oil is pouring out upon, there is little noticeable difference if that oil is pouring from the spout of the vessel or if it is pouring from cracks in the jar. To those the oil is being poured upon, it may seem exactly the same, but to the vessel, every drop that leaks through the crack makes the crack a little larger. Please take a few moments to pray for your pastor to be made whole once again, and for each and every crack to be fully restored by God's Spirit. The truth is that if you don't pray, you uh, pray, you w- will continue to experience the oil of the Spirit as it is poured into and out of your pastor. The difference is if that while the outflow of oil blesses you, if it is flowing through a crack and not the spout, it may be painfully breaking your pastor further. Hmm. That was really good. Um, some of the Absolutely. most, you know, all the criticism, all the heartache, all the hurt is in miraculously washed away when someone just comes up to me sometimes and says, hey, I just let you know, just a reminder, we always pray for you and your family. And it's Amen. just like, man, when people say that, it is like this huge weight just lifted, lifting off of me. But Absolutely. Um, the next one I think is to let your pastor be a human. Don't put them on a pedestal mm-hmm. and think that they are above sin, that they're above brokenness. Um, that's very real. Uh, they're very, very human. Um, and don't expect your pastor to be perfect in all areas. Like I said, they're not. I'm not. Um, mm-hmm. Be a friend to your pastor. 
um, or let him have friends that aren't you that he connects with naturally and be okay with just having him as your pastor. Um, fifthly, if you see something in the church or in his ministry that concerns you, go to him directly. Don't gossip or talk about him behind his back. And then lastly, ways that you can help your pastor if you are a church member. If the Lord leads you and your family to leave the church, do so in a gracious, God-honoring way and let him know and let him know why. Not so he'll beg you to stay, but just give him the opportunity to bless and release you. You as the church member will be happier and feel a sense of peace and the pastor will as well. And that's just, I think, just a common respect that you can that you owe to your pastor who is, like I said, been in the trenches for you and praying for your family and teaching your family. Do them just the common respect of saying, hey, we're leaving. It's nothing personal, but this is why we're leaving. And we love mm-hmm. you and thank you for all that you poured into us over the years. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if you're a pastor and you're listening to this and you resonate with all of these things or any of these things or one of these things, and you're like, man, how do I get help? How do I not lead from a place of resentment and pain and brokenness and burnout? Well, the first is you need to get a pastor, a shepherd, a counselor, or accountability partner yourself. You need someone that can pour into you. If you're like, man, I have no idea where to go, um, Standing Stone Ministry that I mentioned at the start of this episode, uh, you can get a trusted, confidential relationship with a counselor or a former pastor. Most of their counselors have worked in some form of church ministry or are pastors themselves. And so check them out, standingstoneministry.org. Um, but even within your church, man, if you find somebody or, or another pastor um, within maybe your denomination or, or your tribe or, or somebody that you trust, you need that. So yeah. get that. Um, secondly, you need to pastor your family first. I, I Somebody asked me the other night at one of our new members class, they said, hey, what do you, how do you see your role? I said, well, I see my role first as I'm a disciple of Jesus. Secondly, I'm a husband to Jenny. Thirdly, I'm daddy to Aiden, Grace, and Judah. And then fourth, I pastor this church. Mm. And I said, if I pastor this church really well, but I fail my family, I will have failed with my life mm. calling. Mm. So what comes first always is our marriage and our children. And if we feel like we cannot balance pastoring with pastoring our family, it might be time for us to step away from church ministry to focus on our family. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. man, that's a, that's a tough pill for some guys to swallow, but it, that may be what God's calling you to do. Mm-hmm. Um, next, don't neglect your personal devotional life. So reading your Bible and praying just as a disciple of Jesus you have to have that because that's who you are first before you're a pastor. You can never neglect that. And um, your church will only uh, follow you if you're leading them in that. So you can't expect them to read their Bible and pray on their own to connect with Jesus if you're not doing it. Mm-hmm. Next is guard your Sabbath. You have to have a Sabbath, and that is the most commonly broken command in churches by church leaders that <laughs> people just are okay with and actually over-spiritualize it, right? But you need time to rest, to pray, to have your soul restored by the Lord. You need that. Um, It's probably not going to be a Sunday. It's probably going to be another day of the week, but you need that. Mm -hmm. Um, The next is you need real friends that aren't impressed by you, (laughs) that know you. That's why, Gabe, man, I just, I so appreciate your friendship, dude, because like me and you and, and our buddy Ryan, that was my roommate in college, we have this like 
text message stream that we've had going on for probably <laughs> the past 10 years. I don't know. And man, we just send each other stupid memes and stupid videos and yeah. sometimes serious stuff, but for the most part. And like we all knew each other. We were like 17, 18 years old, man. And now we're, I mean, we're coming up on 20 years of knowing each other. And I am yeah. so grateful for that because you yes. guys are not impressed by me at all. <laughs> and I, I need that, right? I need guys that love Jesus and love me that I can just be real with. Every love, pastor needs that. Speaking of that text stream, every once in a while, Stacy will pick up my phone and just <laughs> she will just go through that text stream and just be like, "You guys are so immature." <laughs> like, yes, she's, we are. Yes, she's like, it's like you are just living like nineteen-year-olds through this text message thing, and I'm just like, I know we're just sending memes and stuff to each other. Yep, it's like, yep. But it's fun. Yeah. So every pastor needs that, and every pastor needs a life with hobbies and interesting things outside of just being a pastor. So. Um, for me, man, my, my outlet has been in recent years, I love running. I've gotten into cycling. Um, I'm signing up for a triathlon in the spring. Um, and some would say, oh my gosh, you're a pastor. How do you have time for that? I make time for that because I'm a better pastor when I do that. Mm. Because I'm able to rest and exercise my body and be healthy. Yeah. And when I'm that way, when I'm healthy in other ways, then I can be able to sit down and pray with you and talk to you and actually give you um, you know, the, the, the time and compassion that, that I feel like you're owed because I've been able to take care of myself and every pastor needs that. Mm. So your diet and exercise and like interesting things outside of church, you need that. You have to have that. And the last is don't let wounds and hurts fester. If you've got shrapnel in you for, man, let somebody help you pick through the shrapnel. Yeah. Like, like if it's you just taking your Bible and a backpack and hiking boots and going out in the woods for a day and just praying and letting Jesus pick through that shrapnel, do it. If it's you going on a date with your wife and just talking about it, do it. If you, you going to go see a counselor, do it. Because if you don't, you're going to start resenting the people God's called you to serve. So get help and get healing. If you've got some wounds that are there, if you've got some shrapnel, don't let it fester. Hmm. That'll preach. That'll preach. <laughs> Anything else you wanna you wanna add or retract? No, I'm just no? I don't know if this this podcast episode is complete without some sort of uh, Carmen or Sandy <laughs> impersonation or reference. My my son asked me the other night. He said, "Dad, what's the worst band ever?" And I said, "Son, that's mm. easy. It's the band Creed." Mm. And he's like, "What's the band Creed?" And so I started playing him Creed. And he's like, Dad, I actually like this. And I was like, get out of my house. I didn't really say that, but I was I'm trying to like show him good music and how Creed yeah. is not good music. We were sitting around the table. I think it was just like two nights ago. I was sitting around the table. And we have an Alexa in the kitchen. And the yeah, boys play do. the most ridiculous things to that Alexa. Like they, they, Our like, sons do too. <sighs> They're like, hey, Alexa, <laughs> play, play the fart song. And so do like, my kids. Oh, my oh, gosh. It's crazy. And so I just have to listen to this. And I'm like, finally, I'm like, guys, stop, 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 stop. This is not. So I, we sit down and we're like drawing and coloring at the dining room table. And I'm like, Alexa, play Credence Clearwater Revival. And then I, I run up to it and I hit the thing to like make the microphone disable, you know? And they're just like, you know, they're just, I'm just jamming out to CCR. And they're like, I hate this music. I hate this so much. They're just all complaining and stuff. And But Noah is just like perplexed and he's like looking at me and I'm like singing along to like, you know, Fortunate Son and stuff. And, and just he's just like looking at me, like seeing this whole other side of me. And he's like, 
this is music that you enjoy? <laughs> but it was so funny. That's funny because the exact same thing happened last night. Aiden and Grace kept trying to play disco farts. Oh. It's like a disco song, but like the hi-hat <laughs> hit is farts. And I was like, stop, Alexa, stop. So I'd like change the Alexa to something else, and then they would speak over me. And I got to try that tactic of going to turn off the microphone. Oh, yeah, I do it's it all the tactic. time. a good tactic. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. They, we have, we'll have to uh, get our sons on the microphone at some point, and they can share their favorite meme Alexa music. Yeah, 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 yeah. D- Disco Farts is a, is a real one that my son plays all the time. Oh, yeah. man. So anyway. But what about Chicken Wing, Chicken Wing, Chicken Macaroni? No, oh, I've man. never heard of that, but I'm going to, like, you have to vow that your children will not teach my children that song. Oh, you would blow Aiden's mind if you blew it up on Alexa. <laughs> he was playing the peanut butter jelly song last night. The peanut butter jelly time, peanut butter, peanut butter jelly, peanut butter jelly with a baseball bat. All right. Uh, if anybody has any questions, concerns, cries of outrage, or recommendations for our kids <laughs> on Alexa, send us an email at beardsandbiblepodcast at gmail.com or reach out to us via the Facebook. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you guys next time. Well, thanks for listening. That's our show. If you like what you heard, make sure to give us a share, leave us a review, or send us an email at beardsandbiblepodcast at gmail.com.